0: and settled in uh, yeah i'm not i'm not even caught up on twitter it's upsetting <laughs> are you still a completist yeah uh, i'm usually caught up we just got the kids to bed late tonight i'm trying to get into a twitter fight with hodgman over toasters yeah i support you on that it's a busy night do you, be- do you believe that guy he did it was one podcast about toasters, and he's all, I'm Mr. Toaster, and Breville should sponsor me. Uh, one podcast. One. Wow. Also, uh, hello, Internet. They're not crediting you for uh,
1: follow up, are they?
0: Uh, I, mean, I don't know. You I don't, don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like a year and a half behind on that. I have no idea what's going to happen. Hmm. It's sickening.
1: It's hard to know sometimes where uh, certain bits come from because I'll hear people doing a bit that I do which is fine, and then I'm not sure, like, if I got the bit from somebody else, too, and then I get, sometimes I get credited with a bit that I'm just doing from somebody else, and then I got to, like, explain it's not my bit.
0: Someone talking, someone else talking into a shoe? (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, something like that, or like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've had a few, though, where I've had to go in and, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, you got to go in and say, hey,
0: you know, that's not me. Oh, yeah, no, that that happens all the time because half of the things that come out of my mouth on podcasts are like stupid pop culture references and people think I invented them. I'm like, no, no. Not not only did you not get the reference, but you're so far from getting the reference that you think it's something that I thought up uh, off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, well, it's especially, I mean, it's embarrassing enough if it's, not embarrassing, but it's awkward enough where, God, what is the one of Mike Hurley's that I use a lot? Oh, Ahoy uh, oh, Telephone. Yeah. We're yeah. on a podcast and you want to yep. not, not invoke Siri. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of people have told me how clever I am for coming up with that. And I've, I feel like I have to go in like on a bespoke basis and say like, I did not say that. That was... Copyright, copyright
0: Devco two thousand what? What 2001? <laughs> yeah, 2001. How about that? Is that the year? Yeah, that's when it came out. All right. I, I, you haven't done that one in a while, so... Uh, you know me and my bits.
1: I, I'll do them for a while and then I stop. Then they come back. Then they come stop. back. Then you come back, and then you stop. Pull you back in. Um. Yeah. It's hard. Um, yeah. Aloha. Hello. <laughs> oh, I feel bad. Goodbye. Should, should we? <laughs> should we say something on the air to, to Dan to uh, clarify that we're fans of the show?
0: I feel that. He only communicated with you, apparently, because I'm not uh, important enough.
1: Well, no, no. no, no. But he, he mentioned, like, I just want to say, if it was not clear last week, you can speak for yourself. Uh, I am uh, I am going to say that I am, I've am i never contributed to the Wikia, but uh, I would consider myself uh, nigh on to a super fan of the Flophouse. It's one of my favorite shows. I look forward to hearing it. I genuinely... Love that show, and I, I had hoped that that would be apparent in our gentle ribbing of the sound quality of the Flophouse.
0: If we are not fans of that show, then nobody is.
1: Nobody like, should, yeah, Because
0: right. we, we represent two ends of the fan spectrum. We have the longtime slash long suffering fan, and then we have the new one, and we come from both directions, totally covering the fan space of Flophouse fandom. Both listening to every episode and obsessed with it and obsessed with all the gags. I mean, how how can you be more of a fan of this show than we are? I don't understand.
1: Right. When we've been through the fire where like we've, we've you know, been through the 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 enjoyment of that show over so many episodes that like, I, I'm not kidding when I say that I, it's almost like, well, like I've said before that like when back when I had cable, if the Godfather came on USA, I would stop what I'm doing and watch it. Or a Coen Brothers movie, like if Raising Arizona was on, I would stop what I was doing and watch it, which is silly because, like, in some cases, I own those movies on DVD or whatever, but I would still sit down and watch it. And like just mentioning Bullet to the Head last week, uh, the next or whenever the last program when we recorded, the next day I sat down and listened to Bullet in the Head just because I'd mentioned it, and I and I loved it just as much. And you have a lot of free time. I have a lot of unrestricted time. Mm -hmm. My goodness! Oh, it's this week, huh? Huh?
0: I'm just jealous of how much time you get. Like, re-listening to podcasts that you like is a luxury. I I rarely... Like, I'm so far behind on so many podcasts that I want to listen to that I just don't have time to go back.
1: It is... Um, you know, it's fashionable when you do a thing to talk about how much you like other people's things. And I think a lot of times that's just BS. Because once people get busy enough, they stop acting like they care that much. I fill almost every available minute of my day listening to podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts and once i've listened to everything that i listen to in a given week i'll go back and listen to stuff like old stuff one of your shows i'll listen to an old hypercritical i'll listen to an old flop house like there are certain shows i will just return to again and again i i genuinely um and when i say i like the format but that's weird at this point that's kind of like saying you like comics like well which comics do you like podcasts has you know gotten so big
0: it's like saying you like follow-up i mean that means nothing right
1: no i don't even know where they came up with that was that brady's idea to, to do that yeah, just like freebooting. Brady's the other one, right? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's complicated.
1: That's how it works. That's how it works.
0: <laughs> the best thing about that bit, the best thing, is in typical Flophouse fashion...
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think I know what you to say.
0: ...that they can't get their own bits right. That, like, <laughs> in the beginning, it's like, that's the way it works? That's how... like. It mutated within seconds. Like the original, the original bit, the others could not parrot back the thing with the correct. It's just like words that sound like each other, right? It's just you know, it, it. The the original thread lasts mere moments before it mutates and then possibly mutates again, and then the fans take it over. And then as it spreads around, you're like, but that's not that's not what they originally said. Oh well, just never mind. <laughs> My favorite part
1: was that you know Elliot goes off on his jag. He's 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 got his little little song he's doing, and. It's of maybe of all the Elliott songs, of many of the Elliott songs, this one was the most, like, it actually sounded like the chorus of, well, not the chorus, but it sounded like a callback in a doo-wop song or something, Mm -hmm. where someone would say, that's how it works. And everybody, as one goes, that's how it works. And you would expect everybody to do it as backup singers, Mm -hmm. and nobody bit. But he kept doing it. And he kept doing it past the point when even he thought anybody was jo- going to join in. And miraculously, my favorite part, Stuart goes, that's how it works.
0: Yep, yep. Ah, <laughs> oh, the sound quality sucks, though. Timing, timing. timing. It's, timing. It, 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 it's it's not it's like all comedy is timing, but imagine exactly when it would be uh, the right time to come in and then just miss all of those points. That's, that, that's Stuart's timing.
1: <laughs> uh oh. All right, enough of those guys. But And that's, uh, why, and that's why it's funny. That's and that's why, why you should
0: listen to that show. And starting that, from uh, episode one.
1: Starting at episode one, yeah. I should go back. I don't, th- I don't know if I've ever heard episode one. I skip a lot of the ones that Elliot's not on. I like, uh, I like, I like the uh, Hallie ones. She's fun. Um, but yeah, I, as I've sampled, I would skip a lot of the non-Elliot
0: ones. The ones with the pillow man. See, I don't even know who that is. Owl Madrigal.
1: Oh, right, right, right. owls.
0: This is multi-podcast uh, oh, oh, crossover. Oh, God.
1: That's so stupid. Oh, that's really stupid. So good. <sighs> oh, God. A stressful week. Stressful week.
0: What's going on that, that's stressing you well, out? Well, this is
1: why, I mean, we're not to the topic yet, but like, oh, my God. Between homework and like getting things fixed at the house, like I'm losing my religion, as they say. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Uh, So much stress. Homework.
0: It's not your homework, right? It's your your daughter's homework. So don't
1: worry. It's my homework. It's my homework too now. Oh my God, the emotional tumult of homework. Thursday nights are very, very difficult at our house. Because Thursday night is the last night you can do the homework before you turn it in on Friday. And all the ghosts of not having done the homework on a timely basis all week start haunting the living room.
0: You could tell me if this was different in your house, but my recollection of childhood was that... My parents did not care whether I did my homework or not. In terms of like, not that they didn't care if I did it, but like they weren't on me. Like, hey, do you have any homework? Is your homework done? Have you got your homework done? Let me see your homework. Maybe make sure you do your homework. All they cared about was if there was some sort of disciplinary action or consequence of not doing the homework. Then I was in trouble. But there was never the other side of it, which was let's make sure John has done all his homework. that's due. I have no recollection of that ever happening in my entire life. My mother's probably listening to this and thinking that she did it but at this point both of our memories are really bad so I'm just going with my recollection which is my parents did not make sure I did my homework but did you per- did, did you do it? No I, I refused to do homework uh, like out of a, 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 a warped sense of morality until basically college Wow <laughs> like that that we've discussed it before that it, like it was an affront it was an injustice. Like I go to school, I'm there for a really long time, and then they want me to do more stuff when I'm at home. No way, not happening. This is not, it, it, this is not the way things should work. It is, you know. And so I would just not do it. Period. I, or I would do it like, while they, you know, they would they would like pass your papers forward, or they'd come around and collect it, and I would know how much time I would have to do it before like the, I had to pass my paper forward, like, you know, or or do it in the class before or whatever. I was a terrible, terrible student. Wow, that's stressful. Um, not really because it meant I didn't have to do it at home and I just worried about it when I was there and you just learn what the consequences of not doing your homework are. Um, a lot of the times it was like that your teacher would send a note home to your parents, uh, which I would never give them, uh, or they would send a note home to your parents that had to be signed and returned and I would forge their signature.
1: <laughs> my mom, my mom had to go to the post office because we weren't getting our
0: mail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> a letter from that kid's school comes to- <laughs> yeah. All right. Into the oven. Yeah. Into the, the something oven, yes.
1: I, I, well, it became an issue at a certain point, because I was bad, and I didn't care, and I was just, uh, I was bad.
0: So D- Did you feel like it was an injustice? Yes. Uh, the same way I did? Like, that, that it was, that you you were, it was a civil disobedience, kind of. In civil disobedience, you're supposed to accept the consequences of you not doing it. I also wanted to avoid the consequences, but the bottom line was it just didn't seem like the correct thing to do.
1: Yeah, th- I mean, did you use the word unjust? Yeah. That's how it did feel. And that's how it feels today. I mean, I'm ready. I'm just at the end of my rope tonight. It's just, you know, and and forgive me because Dan and I talked about this at length on a recent Back to Work um, two days ago as we record this, uh, talked a lot about this and the stress of this. And so I hate to, you know, rehash it here, but, you know, it's, it's, it drives me crazy just in brief. It drives me crazy that, you know, basically my kid gets up at six in the morning and the nearly sole focus of her and our morning is getting ready for school. In, in some form or fashion and getting to school. She's at school at seven fifty. She's at, she's there until four o'clock. So she's at school and doing school or after school in some form or fashion, you know, from eight to four, it's like a full-time job. So she's got two and a half hours. Like if we get home quickly, she's got two and a half hours between school being done and like bath time, the beginning of winding down to bedtime, which every time I think of it, it, it makes me angry I know it's nobody's fault. I'm not blaming anybody, but I hate that system. I hate the system that makes it where she gets two and a half hours a day to be a kid. Now, if things were different, maybe one of us could stay at home and be June Cleaver and just hang
0: out with her in the afternoon, but that's not feasible for us. But the aftercare stuff is not school anymore. Like, that's where, you know, school ends at like, you know, noon to two o'clock, depending on what your schedule is. All that time from then until four is not school anymore. It's pretty school-like.
1: She has activities three days a week. Where from, you know, end of school, I mean, not to get too granular here, but from two to three, three days a week, she has like a a scheduled activity thing. She's got art or she's got science or she's got yoga, uh, which all of which she likes. Um, And then from three to four uh, is a period where kids work on homework. (laughs) So she works on homework or reads from three to four. And then she comes home and, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm being unreasonable or maybe I'm being touchy about this, but it's like, so we have just enough time to come home, harangue her to do her homework. Like when it's, it's not, you know, it's considerable. There's like five pages of stuff plus, she's plus supposed to do at least 20 minutes of free reading a day. Yeah. And like, if, if you actually, it's one of those things where like, you know, if you actually did the math on doing all of this as well as you're supposed to, uh, it would be like a job I wouldn't want where she could fill every hour of the day with something related to school, that just just on the basis that it was you know assigned to her or part of school that basically becomes like everything in her life except for sleeping and pooping
0: yeah well that's not much different than my working life but <laughs> I,
1: you know. Yeah, but you're you're I, you. Whatever mess you are now, like you you got a chance to get to being that mess that you are now. I think the idea of an eight year old kid having that amount of obligation yeah. and stress every week, and then uh, obviously the family having the stress about that, because we wanted to good to do a good job. We don't want to have her not. She'll. I mean, she's a nervous wreck if her homework's not done. She stresses out about it.
0: Oh, well, that's better than the alternative where they don't care. I don't know. You weren't at my house this afternoon. Well, so the reason I asked about the memory of, like, yeah. your parents being on top of you is not to say, like, when I was a boy, we had to walk uphill, you know, the whole... I'm, the reason I think is that, like, uh, the the inclination of modern parents is to be more involved than... Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Than, yeah. ...than their parents, and that is a trend that has probably been continuing steadily for, you know, hundreds of years at this point. Um, and so we are, in, in general, more involved than our parents were, and I'm always questioning whether... That involvement is entirely beneficial because it's just like, you know, you've already been through this. You have a baby and it can't do anything. And it's this little fleshy thing that depends on you for everything at a certain point. You have to transition from let me figure out what I can do to make the baby happy to let me figure out what I can do to let the let the toddler understand how to soothe itself. Like you, you go from entirely being in service of the child. You have to switch that at some point to making the child learn to be in service of itself, right? Yep, and you've already, yep. you've already done that transition from baby to toddler to actual kid, right? Same way with homework, it's like repeating the same cycle. In the beginning, you're like, I'm going to help you with your schoolwork. But at a certain point, as the child gets older, uh, they have to learn how to be responsible for their own Schoolwork and understand you have to keep track of what your assignments are you have to remember to turn them in you have to do them you have to remember to do them you have to care about doing them because at a certain point you're going to go off to college and you can't i'm not going to call you every night at college and say what kind of assignments did you get in class when are you going to start doing that reading assignment when you no because you have like you have to do that transition and it's just it's just a series of those transitions and knowing like how to navigate that how to switch from uh you know I'm your parent and I'm there to do everything for you versus I'm your parent. And it's my job to teach you how to do these things like eight years old or whatever. is probably not the correct time to do it, but I've got an 11 year old too. And we're trying to experiment this year. Like he's in middle school now to be like, will he, you know, we can't be on top of him every second and we shouldn't be on top of every second. At A certain point he needs to keep track of his stuff. He needs to know what is expected of him and remember to bring it back to school and you know do all that stuff and so it's we're you know intentionally being much more hands-off even though if left to our own devices especially my wife would be on top of them as soon as he comes home what homework have you got today have you finished it have you what time are you going to do it if you're not going to do it now are you sure you're going to block out enough time remember that you have to do this that and the other thing tonight so on and so forth um yeah and it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is there because you want you want to go right from I'm helping my child with everything to close your eyes, open them, and my child is completely self-sufficient, but that's not how it works.
1: Not how it works? <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll tell you, there's a hmm, a very related thing from her homework that I should probably learn from, and that's Common Core Math, another thing we talked about a lot on Back to Work. But you know, Common Core Math, I, of course, I, like anybody, I didn't really realize how different it would be in some ways, and so I dive-bombed in to be helpful early on. And not really realizing, especially as it got more quote-unquote advanced, like, oh, man, I do not un- – it's not that I don't understand math, although I don't really understand math. It's that I, I, don't understand, I don't understand what she has learned, and if I try to help her, I'm actually really getting in the way. If I went and had like a short course on understanding what uh, – what was it, like decomposing numbers or like doing what, what, you know these number lines and fact families and all this kind of yeah, stuff because yeah. I have to sit there and ask my daughter, what does this mean? Uh, So, I mean, I I don't want to go too far, but a thought that has crossed my mind is that, you know, I want to know what the rules are so I can – the rules of homework are so I can help her understand how to use and game those rules and not break them. But I don't really actually (laughs) know what all the rules of the math are, and me intervening is just making it worse. So there's also a part of me that thinks, like – you know, I feel like I really should kind of stay out of it. I don't I don't want her to feel stressed out. So, of course, I make her feel stressed out by saying, I don't want you to feel stressed out. But, you know, part of it is I feel like I should really extract myself from most of the process. Uh, it's just in the... because, But I'm just fearing the Thursday night anxiety. Do you know what I mean? But, like, there's a part of me that thinks exactly what you're saying with your 11-year-old. It's like, I wonder how far I should consider maybe just extracting myself from the whole situation. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to be lazy and I don't want to be seem unconcerned, but then I also have to ask myself how much my fretting is actually helping.
0: Yeah. The, and the best part is like, as we're trying to navigate that, like if you ever go into like the parent teacher conferences or whatever, uh, inevitably the teacher or teachers of whatever subject your child is having more difficulties in, uh, basically like their teachers are very well trained to try to say things that don't offend parents, but you yeah. can read between the lines, What they're basically telling you is like, Your child needs more help in X, so you as a parent really need to pick up the ball there and make sure they do the homework assignments and help them with them and so on. So they don't say it in that many words, but what they basically say is, your kid isn't doing well here, and parent, it's your fault because you are not doing enough at home to, you know, especially if it's a kid who's not doing homework assignments or not putting enough care into the homework assignments or whatever. We we get
1: get that second one, yeah.
0: Yeah, the, the, The teachers would be like, you know, you know, again, they don't say it in this way, but they always say, come on, parents, this is on you. When they leave my classroom, I don't have control of them. When they go home with you, if they're not doing their homework, then it, we as a teacher have to say to you, parent, this is on you to make sure your kid does your homework, Yeah. Uh, does their homework. And you're like, and then it's the, it's the two, it's like, but really? Should, should I, you know, how... Should I just be there over my kid's shoulder the second they come in the door, helping them with their homework and making sure they do it and being on top of them and, and checking it over and telling them to go back and correct it and over and over? Because like, you know what it's like. You don't want to do that when your kid gets home. And they've sometimes been, you been do been disagree dealing, with the amount of They've been
1: dealing with school and other people all day long. If that were me, I would want to go in the room go in my room and close my door and just be alone. The last thing I want to do is, is like, come home and go, oh, you know, why don't you go wash your hands and then get started on your schoolwork? It's like, that's miserable. But, you know, okay, so the one thing we have gotten, though, I mean, like, last time we had a conference, we actually brought this up and said, look, you know, we're kind of worried about the homework thing. And it, it it is actually becoming a bit of a source of stress in the house for everybody. And our teacher was really, really nice about it. And, I mean, what I got from the teacher, and this just might be the color of my crystal, what I got was I want her to do a good job on what she does. And if she doesn't do all of it, that's not the end of the world. But, you know, do do a, do a good job on the stuff that she does. And so – but that's hard to translate. So, I mean, it still sounds like a criticism when I'm saying, well, you know, because she's she, – that does not feel like success to her to go like, oh, I just won't do it all. She could do it all. I mean, she could do lots of things. She could also, you know, <laughs> start taking Mandarin like a lot of the kids
0: do. But I don't know. It's – well, I mean all I think all of this. The the kids stress, the parent stress, the worry about how involved you should or shouldn't be to make your child make sure your child is successful, but also make sure your child becomes self sufficient. All of those things, especially at these ages, you know, the, you know, late single digit ages or any of the sort of single digit ages and getting up into like before you get into middle school and stuff, it's basically a symptom of a school system that is not flexible enough to account for the differences in the participants, right? That they're just trying to say that Uh, this is the system your kid has to fit into a pretty narrow slot in terms of where they're expected to be in every single aspect of their life at certain uh, ranges and we're going to give them ratings based on whether they're meeting those expectations exceeding them or below them and of course everyone wants to be you know exceeding uh but they're not going to be every kid is different and they mature at different rates they have different skills and the system simply does not account for that like because we've all met the kids who who are, like, enthusiastic about homework and do a great job and really love school and are wonderful socially and, like, you know, and in some respects, you're, like, you're jealous because it's easier, quote-unquote, easier to be a parent of that kid during certain periods of whatever. But the bottom line is that, like, every in the most cases every situation in which your child isn't doing as well or is having difficulty with something is not because your child is inferior or because you are inferior or the teacher is or whatever it is merely at these young ages just a difference in developmental like stages like how far along are they because it's it's ridiculous to expect these groups of kids to just be so rigidly like they should be reading on this level they should know this and math they should know these things they should know this 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 when if you enter that grade without the capacity to sit still and even listen to someone for more than a couple seconds because that part of your brain hasn't grown in yet or whatever you're gonna miss all of the subject matter and so that that's like that doesn't really help anything but in the big picture when i look at all these different kids you're like these are all like Normal, regular, uh, you know, completely competent, intelligent kids that are just at different stages of growing up. And any time you are not in exactly where they expect you to be, it's a possible source of stress because, uh, you know, it you fall into the same trap you're like well if they say if the teacher and the testing criteria says that they should be doing this and they're ever so slightly below it then something is wrong and we have to fix it when in reality if your kid was the only kid on the whole planet no one would care and they would be like just fine whatever we'll do what you're ready for we'll talk about this you want to talk if you're really into books now we'll talk about that we'll talk about math next year it doesn't matter like you'll get there eventually but that's not the system we're in
1: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this actually, in a in a weird sideways way, this does feed into our, our topic, which we'll get to in a bit, which is, you know, having, I'll just say without spoiling it, that, you know, having to do with uh, how and when you must entrust your fortunes to somebody who's an expert on something that you're not an expert in, or importantly, somebody who's in a position to kind of screw up your deal if you aren't deferential to them. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, there's people like me who really want people to like them. I really want to please people. But there's also people who are like, you know, I don't want to provoke the person at the DMV. Uh, I might make more money than they do, but they're in a position to, of course, I want to be a civil and decent person as well. But you also want to tread carefully. Like you don't want the stewardess to get mad at you. You you know what I mean? There's all those kinds of things. And I think that's exactly true with teachers. You want the teacher to like you. You want the teacher to to like your kid. And especially as you get into junior high and high school, those are people who might like have to, you know, write recommendations for your kid. And you don't want the word to get around that your kid is trouble. I, I don't. I'm not sweating any of these things right now because it's absolutely not an issue. But I could, I could definitely see that if you're in a very competitive environment that need to like uh, show yourself that you're a gamer and you're trying real hard and you're following directions, whether or not you agree with it. Like they're the experts. They're the ones who are going to have an outsized effect on you know uh, what happens next.
0: or, or it, it, this is actually slightly off off your topic. We just reminded me of it, thinking of like parent-teacher conferences. The other, the other just deadly thing that that happens at parent teacher conferences that it's when the teacher uh turns it around and uh, consults you as the expert that you are the one with the with the special knowledge and expertise in this area and it's when they ask you you know if your kid is being disruptive in class for some reason what they want to ask you is uh give us some strategies strategies that we can use to help help your child when he or she has this problem or whatever? Or what do you do at home that works when blah, blah, blah? Oh, man, I do I, not want to have
1: that meeting. Right. I've never had yeah. that. Oh, my God. Uh,
0: well, yes, you know, you're, you're lucky. But both of my children have, you know, at various times had uh, behavior really? issues in school. Uh, yeah. And so the teachers, like, you discuss it with the teachers. And, like, it's kind of like the discussion is they want the parents to know and they they don't again there's no they don't say that they expect you to do something about it but then why would they even be telling you like at the very least they expect you to have a conversation with your child about it or whatever um they don't go so far as as they might have like when i was a kid to ask the teachers ask the parents so parents what are you going to do about this like you know whatever but they will definitely ask you uh you know your child best tell us what strategies and the thing is, if you have a kid who, at, in whatever stage in their life, in is has a particular behavior problem or whatever, it's like if we knew what worked, like <laughs> there's nothing that works. Like, what do you do at home? Uh, suffer? I mean, <laughs> we we flail aimlessly and try everything we can think of. Uh, we have no answers for you. Uh, you know, it's like I don't know. It's uh, your meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like you know your kids behave differently in school than you do at home right Absolutely. so like the only thing i could ever tell them is i can't tell them anything i can just say look the one advantage you have is as a stranger and authority figure who they might have a chance of listening to they stopped listening to us years ago it's hopeless uh we have no advice to give you we are useless as parents uh we're all on our own here yay and then i mean you do talk to your kid about it blah blah but like when you know it's just it's the worst feeling when the, the, when, the, when the teacher is going to you. As the, you're the expert in your child. Tell me how, Tell me what's the best way to get through to your child. It's like, we don't know. We're their parents. No, nothing. They don't listen to us. We lost them years ago. This episode of Reconcilable
1: Differences is brought to you by MailRoute. You can learn more about MailRoute right now by going to mailroute.net slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. As you know, IT departments are expected to do so much more these days with less money It's a crazy town, banana pants type situation. It can include really important stuff like stopping spam and virus attacks. And, you know, as you may know, end of life announcements for trusted hardware and software options make these decisions so much more difficult. First, Postini went away. Now, MXLogic. Now, who can you trust to do the job well and stick around? I will tell you. Two syllables. MailRoute. MailRoute will protect your email and your hardware against spam. Viruses and other attacks. There is no hardware or software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. MailRoute's team has focused exclusively on email protection since 1997. These are email nerds. You can trust them. Their interface is easy to use and loaded with admin tools, including an API. It's all designed to make your life spam free. MailRoute supports LDAP and Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, outbound relay, everything you'd want from the people handling your email. And right now, MailRoute is even offering price matching for McAfee and MX Logic customers. Nothing wrong with that. So stop spam today with a free thirty day trial of MailRoute. You go to MailRoute.net slash diffs. Listeners of this program get ten percent off of the lifetime of their account. That is a very long time. And uh, you can also send an email to sales at mailroute.net. So they do do, uh, email inside the email company, it turns out. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses. That's it. That's all they do. And they do it better. And they've been doing it longer than anybody else. You got to go check these folks out at mailroute.net slash diffs. And our thanks to MailRoute for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. We had, um, well, this is, you know what? I think we should do this follow-up just in passing because I may want to talk to you, well, at length about this at some point. But can I mention the leftovers?
0: Yeah, I, we don't want to spoil it because we want to put yeah. another spoiler breakpoint in here for people. But you can, in in, uh, in broad strokes, you can talk. About
1: it. Well, yeah, and I, I guess I would prefer to wait till I've watched all of them to uh, to talk about it. But um, I took your... your you're, you, so you, I'm trying to remember what what you said exactly. My, it might have been actually after we were done recording, but you, as just kind of a postscript, I don't know, a few months ago, you were like, he's like, you're like, I'm not sure if I really want to recommend this. Do you remember what you said? But you were like, you, this might be right for you. You might want to check out the leftovers. Do you remember yeah. what you said to me?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I said that it was a show. A long time when we discussed it. It's a show that I can totally understand people not liking because it is it is not. Uh, traditional like it is a lot of people find it either just too much of a downer or like too too grim or too pointless or whatever um and so i have difficulty saying oh you should watch it's not like you know even something like breaking bad which has lots of bad things happen to people and stuff it's like exciting and people are interested in it and It's clear what's going on, and it's clear what's at stake, where The Leftovers is is challenging and and confrontational in a way that most television shows aren't. So I had difficulty recommending it, but at a certain point, you start to realize this may be the kind of show that you like because you're weird and neurotic and like to watch weird and neurotic people do things, Um, uh, but that you have to, of course, watch season one. Uh, you can't start from the middle because it will be a mess, and I don't remember what other advice I might have given no you no that's that sounds about right, and so I forget how I started, but
1: I'm just gonna make some observations about this show really more to uh build a case for who it might be good for um because everything you said is true uh it It's definitely one of those shows it's you know it's like the Smiths of t v shows where you're like, I completely understand why somebody might not like this. It's, uh, Damon Lindelof is one of the show's creators and, uh, driving forces. And there, there are certain things that even, there are certain even good parts about Lost that drove people crazy by the end. And some of that will drive you crazy here. The one thing I will say is that, I don't know how much to say, except to say that, like, I think it is very rewarding. It's very, it's very rewarding. It is a, it is a bit of a downer. It, It is
0: pretty slow. It's got a lot of characters. Uh, it's a mystery box story, and you're not sure where it's going because, it like, it's not like even though there are things at stake, it's not clear. Like even on Lost, you're like, well, they want to get off the island. Like it was there was there was more of a clear through line because they, like The Leftovers has this big premise, and you're like, so is that the problem they're going to solve? And the answer is no. That's yeah. the, you know, and See, then okay, so, so, so you don't so.
1: consider that a spoiler.
0: No, I mean, it's the first episode and you know what the premise of the show is or whatever, but like... Oh, I meant I meant the not figuring it out part. Uh, well, yeah, but the, you, I mean, by the first or second episode, you realize no one is, <laughs> no one is investigating that, like, that there is not even a hope of that. As soon as I'm lost, everyone is all about like, how are we going to survive? How are we going to get off this island on this yeah, yeah, show?
1: Uh, okay, so, I, yeah, but okay, so I think it's okay to probably say what the premise of the show is because it's in the first, like, five minutes.
0: Yeah, it's and the first, it's, in the, it's in the title.
1: Yeah. Okay, so the the premise of the show is that on this one day, October 14, 2011, um a bunch of people disappeared. Approximately 2% of the planet disappeared. And there does not seem to be well, at first there's virtually there's no pattern to it. Uh but a bunch of people disappeared. Sometimes, you know, uh, more than one person in a family, people all over different countries, but it they just they just went away and they were gone.
0: And we, mean, and we mean disappeared, not like been kidnapped. We mean like disappeared.
1: No trace. You turn around and the person's not there. Right. Anymore. They were there and then they were not there. Right. And it's uh, actually that opening is, is very well done, very chilling about what that would really feel like. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's the essential premise of the show. And then basically three years later, fast forward to three years later and, fo- and kind of following the, a bunch of people, mostly in this one town. Uh, and what life is like three years later. And that's pretty much the first season. And what's happened in the interregulum since that uh, departure, as they call it. And uh, I, I... Uh, So I won't say any more than that about the premise, except to say, uh, join you in your spoiler, which is it seems, as with Lost. (laughs) With Lost, it kept seeming more and more like, oh, there's something weird here, and it's going to be explained. Oh, maybe it's this weird thing, and it'll be explained. Well, the nice part about this is, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler, is it's definitely something weird. It's not explained in any way you would expect, but it doesn't make it any less weird just because of what's
0: happening with the people who are left there. And there's and there's a lot of things surrounding the premise of the show each of which makes you think well maybe this is the thing well, there's maybe so the many thing.
1: little yeah exactly there's so many little things where like you and me being the careful viewers who like movies like the game are sitting there going uh-uh, this is gonna be what it's bad I bet it's bad people oh no there's babies too okay I bet it's <laughs> you know what I mean and like is it what's it gonna be and what's the importance of the deer and we don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and I feel like you get by mid by mid first season you should eventually have this show's number and that's pretty much when a lot of people bail because it's like oh
1: they're never going exp- they're never going to explain what happened. If yeah. it's
0: not going to be a straightforward mystery investigative story, if it's not going to be a police procedural, if it's not going to be a character drama where I'm going to well you know will they or won't they or a romance thing, then if it's not one of those things that that I that I'm familiar with, then I'm not interested. Um but if you're someone like me, by that point you you realize that and it makes you like it even more and you realize no, all these other things, that's what the show is about. And every time a new one comes up, you, you still find yourself thinking, maybe this is – no, no yep. never mind. <laughs> never mind. Uh, but yeah, it's, and, but
1: like when you – I'm curious if you agree that on some level, the part, the part that makes it most interesting is the social experiment part of uh, in the absence of explaining what weirdness caused what happened, how much intervening weirdness there is just from the people who have been dealing with the departure.
0: Yeah, and, and and if and if, anyways, if anything, this show seems to undersell that. Because if I think about what the actual war will be like if this happened, it is way worse than the show. But there's the show is plenty weird and crazy, you know. Like, but yeah. but but if you, you know, if, if anything, they're underselling it because they know if they you know they don't want to go too over the top, so they pick and choose kind of the the manifestations that they're going to hang their head on, which are plenty weird. Um, but if I think about it, you know,
1: but there's also there's not a lot of. I mean, I'm trying to think now. There's not that many implausible things, and a lot of no, the things no, that there's... seem implausible turn out to be entirely plausible. Yeah, and and so the the only other thing I was going to say, you know, what it really reminds me of in retrospect, I in terms of a little bit of style. Uh, but did you ever see? I forget if you've seen. This. Have you ever seen uh, Children of Men? Yep. Um, I really like that movie. It does a lot of the storytelling with. Uh, just really subtle exposition. Like, I, I, forget, I forget if we've talked about it on here, but like stuff you see in the background, things on yep. headlines. That, I love that kind of storytelling. And uh, there's there's a lot of that, I felt a lot of that same style here where you think about the world of Children of Men and the way like there's these, uh, you know, just it seems like a theme in sci-fi and dy- dystopian literature is this idea of like how the government's going to get weird and what ad hoc groups of weirdos will form as a result of something that we can't really completely explain or process. And there's yeah. lots of that here and but it's it's all pretty plausible in the way it plays out and which makes it even more brutal and painful.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I think it is it is underplayed because I mean, if you th- just think of all the weirdness that we have in the world today, that is based on things that are completely explainable.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right? 9-11. Right? Think about, it's, like, right. we we, t- we still take off our shoes at the airport. Really, really think about that. We still take off our shoes at the airport. That's so bananas. So
0: if you had something like on this show that is legit unexplainable, the weirdness would be so much worse. Like, even right, Children of right. Men also undersells its premise because if the Children of Men premise was, was a reality, I think things would be way more grim than they are in that
1: movie. they basically people can't I, have kids anymore
0: well yeah well then that, that was england so maybe it's all stiff upper lip i don't know but uh, but the rest of the world will be like well there's no point in anything so you know <laughs> uh anyway yeah it's uh it's it's a hell of a show and, and you said you are into season two already and i think that the season two opening and oh my goodness and and the the whole of that first episode it because it is kind of trolling you because it's like my wife was furious she watched it. She watched
1: it two nights ago, and she was like, "Where are my people?" <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't <laughs> okay. spoil, don't spoil, That's yeah, But okay. yeah, I'll talk to
0: you about it after. But All right, we'll come back to that. That uh, is one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, uh, first episodes. Because because if you think about it, like again, there was a long gap between season one and season two, and after season one, I was like, "Well, that was a hell of a thing. Where can they go from here?" Right. And I just forgot the show existed until season two came along. Oh, the leftovers are back. Let's see where they go with this. And you're like, what? Oh, and your mouth is just open the whole yep, episode, that's and, that's and you're like. Said yeah uh, so here's my here, my
1: here's my uh you give me your thoughts on this here's my advice is that um because i'm gonna give a little bit of a uh, somewhere between a john and a merlin on this is that if you do like um i mean f- truthfully i watched it because i buffy watched it because i thought that i was gonna have to slog through a weird season one to get to this season two that everybody likes uh far from it i was hooked after the first episode what i will say if, if you think you this might be for you watch episode one it's on hbo whatever i've got the cord cutter version it's on hbo but i would say watch episode one if you absolutely despise episode one stop because there's no point but i would say if you if you like episode one okay i would say watch one and two and that will give you a good sense of whether you want to go in because the chances chances are if you're like me there's no question you're going to plow through the whole thing I found I found it I found it extremely compelling. And then I'll just say, I mean, here's your here's your cookie. If you can make it through to episode 9, you're in for something pretty special.
0: Yeah, and and even though it it is it is more slow-paced than normal, it does go somewhere. It's not as if like this is what every episode is going to be like just seeing these people doing stupid things that I don't care about. It does go somewhere. Season 1 has an arc. It goes somewhere. It builds. There is, you know, it's not just like I'm just going to watch these people for a while for a bunch of episodes doing stuff. So, uh have faith that even though it may still seem slow by episode two or three, there's a payoff.
1: Yeah. Good pick. I think it's going to be, I could see this being one of those shows. What? I don't want to say the outer limits, but one of those shows that like, I don't know if it'll be great and famous during its time, but people will be talking about this show for a while, I think.
0: And I, it is also one of those shows that, uh, has to be considered in the context of this is the guy who did lost, like as a reaction to lost, it takes on an entire new dimension.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I totally agree. I mean, at least because there's, a, there's an insure, there's an assuredness to this that I thought I felt with Lost, <laughs> but I realized I didn't.
0: Well, but it's a reaction to Lost. Like, it's a, you know, like, I did loss and people said this. It's an exploration of the criticism of Lost. It's a meta-exploration of the criticism of loss. Really? I'm going to think about that. Yeah, I'll, I can tell, talk to you about it. Off, okay, well, we'll come, we'll come back to that. But that's
1: the homework, if you're interested, is uh, Leftovers on HBO. Um do, should we get to our uh, our topic
0: We should It's been in the notes for a while. This is one of yours.
1: Uh, let's just crop back up okay part of this part of this is bitching, and part of this is i genu- genuinely need your help. The topic is uh which we I think we created very early on. I created is Trust your mechanic and uh Trust your mechanic is a song by the dead Kennedys that I ask you to listen to today. Did you like that song were you pretty into that?
0: song I'm doing air quotes.
1: <laughs> um but uh, <laughs> i used to love they were my favorite band i love them so much there's just uh, uh, just
0: a atonal whining oh dear really it's atonal non-rhythmic whining
1: oh it's pretty rhythmic
0: i have a high tolerance for people who can't sing singing in bands this was way beyond he's an
1: unconventional singer
0: that's not really singing it's more like yelling a single note, constantly, inarticulately.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, okay, all right. Anyway, this is a song from Plastic Surgery Disasters, uh, and it's a song called Trust Your Mechanic, and uh, it's one of those songs that I can't unhear. And I, now I guess John can't unhear it either. But uh, the, you know, the premise of the song is, uh, and it's just various kinds of you know vitriolic sophomore bitching about um, you know trust your mechanic. The idea that when your car is broken, you take it into the mechanic, and they look at it, they diagnose what the problem is. And then maybe they fix the problem. Maybe they don't. Maybe something else accidentally or intentionally gets broken. And then they extend that analogy to the television shows and you know the advertising telling you you need to buy this kind of makeup. Um, or
0: what was the other one in there? Um, just... Surgery and the side effects cause more problems.
1: Right. Uh, and, you know, that that really resonated with me when I was 18 or 19, like so many uh, things. And, you know, whether or not you, you like that particular song, there's a concept there. That I that has stuck with me ever since then, which is this problem of the trust your mechanic problem, which is if we knew how to fix a given problem, if we knew how to recognize, diagnose and fix a given problem in a way that was uh, economical and efficient for our time, we do it ourselves. Right. Like used to be I would change the oil on my VW uh, bus. Because that was really easy to do. It was really cheap. It was trivially easy to do. I, you know, I've, there's all kinds of repairs that I could do today. I don't know if there's anything we can repair on our, our current VW, but there's all kinds of things where I just I have this natural uh, revulsion to dealing with experts sometimes. And, and I really I'm I'm actually asking you to help me with this affliction that I have because it drives me nuts when I go to somebody and I feel like I'm at their mercy for them to diagnose the problem. Uh, I. Identify what it is. Identify what gets – what's. now, these are all different things, right? This one person or this one company is going to say, okay, here's the problem that you've got. Uh, here is the solution for fixing that problem. Here's how to implement the solution for that problem. Here, here's what it's going to cost. And, it, it, and where necessary, here are the risks or side effects of what you're doing. And I feel very vulnerable when I do that. And I just feel like there'll be times, like in the example I'm about to give you, there'll be times where I'll put off doing something for so long. And I keep thinking, trust your mechanic, trust your mechanic, meaning don't trust your mechanic. And then I say, okay, I should finally just do this. Quit being a dummy. And then you take it in. Something dumb happens. It's more broken than when you took it in to be fixed. And like you're the idiot because you don't even know how to address what went wrong. And now I feel like a jerk because I'm saying to this, this guy in this particular case, like, what happened? This worked until you fixed it. You didn't fix the trivial thing, and now you broke something non-trivial. And that's the trust your mechanic problem for me. I want you to tell me what you think about this concept, and I would like your help in making me a better person at dealing with expertise in a classy way.
0: So this song reminds me of the uh, of the attitudes of angry young people, um, and it's, I think this is an angry young person problem. Or, or actually, it's not so much young person. I think it's it's a it's a problem that a lot of adults are angry about, but it comes from like a childish place. And and the the, the core of it is, um, like you said, that there's there's a gap in knowledge. There's somebody who knows stuff that you don't know, um, and in those situations. Trust is an issue. Trust is the key word here. Um, if, if it was if you had someone you trust, like, say, your father was a mechanic or, you know, your mother or some other parent who uh, someone you trust, basically, you already trust them. And it just happens that they are an expert in whatever. Everyone loves when that's the case. Like, oh, I know someone who is a house painter and they will, if not, they don't do the job themselves, they'll tell me exactly what I need to know about finding someone who does a good job at house They have nothing to gain by not helping you, Right. Because they're already your friend or something, right? Right. Um, But that's not usually the case. Usually it's a stranger, and you know they know things you don't know, and they know they know things you don't know. So if you're going to get taken, it's really easy to get taken when you, like, what choice do you have? If the guy says you need a new who's he what's it, And you don't know if that's even a part of the thing. Johnson Rod. You got to
1: get a new Johnson Rod.
0: Yeah, the thing you're talking about, (laughs) you have a choice. You can trust them. But if you don't trust them, you don't have a leg. You can't argue with them about the who's he, what's it, because you know nothing about it. You don't know if it's a thing. And, you know, it's it's there. You have so few tools. Like, basically, you feel dumb and you feel vulnerable because you know you are vulnerable because someone who was trying to take you for a ride could take you for a ride. Um, and so you're, you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to navigate this. And the way – the childish, angry way is this guy came and told me, you know, I had this little problem with my house. This, you know, this, this light switch doesn't turn the light on. And this guy comes and he tells me I need to tear all the walls out of my house because mold is growing in them. And it's because water was leaking and it sure out the light switch. Everything was fine until this guy came, but he tells me I got to do all this stuff. Or like the stupid one in the song – your doctor tells me I need surgery, but then I had surgery and there were side effects. And now I have health problems from the side effects. Doesn't mean you didn't need the surgery, probably, right? right? But you're angry because you're like, everything was fine until I addressed this 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 festering problem that I had been ignoring for years. So you're, and saying, then this guy, you're
1: saying more like you go to the dentist and you've been putting it off. Your tooth is rotting, and now you're mad at the dentist. Right? Because... Like my
0: mouth felt fine, but now the dentist says I got fifteen cavities. You know right. what? What kind of BS is that? Right? I mean, and <laughs> so. You're the, such a good adult, so, but <laughs> but, I'm, but it is really a, a childish notion. Like it comes from the place of feeling vulnerable, but the, to get angry about it that every time you go to some expert whether it's the doctor who says you need surgery and then you have you know something bad you have side effects from the surgery it's like it's the stupid doctor if I had never gotten him everything would have been fine right or like you don't take your car into the garage uh, for years and you take it in because it's making a funny noise like all there was was this weird noise and now he tells me my engine's gonna explode if I don't replace my timing belt because it's like overdue (laughs) by uh, you know 50,000 miles and my engine's gonna destroy itself that's such BS my car was running fine and you're angry like partly you're angry at yourself for putting it off partly you're angry that you have no way to argue with this guy about this and you're angry because it's going to cost you time or money or like pain and suffering or whatever um, it, o- overall like despite the the somewhat rational underpinnings to all those feelings the anger expressed in this particular song and in many specific situations is really not a you think it's a, misplaced uh, yeah it, it's really yeah, it's really not a good way to deal with the world it doesn't mean that there isn't a core thing there and the core thing there is you should try to find a mechanic you can actually trust because that way you can bring your car into them. And when they tell you that even though it seemed like you had a minor problem, actually there is some deeper problem that, that's going to be a safety concern and you should address it now. Like that you will trust what they have to say about it. That you won't be constantly guessing, are they taking me for a ride? Because I don't know enough to argue with them. That you will establish, have established a relationship that where you accept what they're saying at face value because if you accept at face yeah. value you're like oh they're helping me out here they're trying to keep me alive they're telling me the brakes on my car are worn down to some you know ridiculous level and that's why they're making that noise and I don't re- replace them my car is not going to stop as well or they're telling me that a strut is bent and a bearing is is worn out and i don't know what any of those things are but you know they're saying at high speed the car is going to start to shimmy and eventually the wheel is going to fall off or something and i need to address this and they're not trying to take me for a ride they're just they're doing their job well like it's the same way the doctor tells you you know you know you need this surgery and yeah you know there may be side effects or whatever but the alternative is you for you not to do anything about this um and things are going to get worse and you have to you have to get into a situation where you trust the person and obviously if there are higher stakes you know that's the reason second opinion is a thing in the medical thing where the stakes are your life yeah you're gonna you know even if you trust the doctor you're still gonna get a second and third opinion to figure it out but for smaller things like fixing your oven or your car The difference between someone who is really doing, like, a really good repair person who is great at their job and doing exactly the best thing they could possibly do and someone who is taking you for a ride is indistinguishable to you. Um, And for that reason, you can't universally get mad at all of them and assume they're all taking you for a ride because you may be treating the one guy that you should be trusting uh, in an insulting way that is going to be counterproductive. Um, But on the other hand, you do need to know some way to, to... To suss out you know how do you find someone you can trust right i guess maybe you do that by like you know how do you even establish that you've gotten taken what do they tell you you need to replace these seven parts and you replace them at great expense do they really need to be replaced um so you know really the only way to deal with this is is it's either find people you can trust through like recommendations or like your own experience with minor things or whatever or become knowledgeable enough that you at least have enough grounding to understand the basics and to be able to ask intelligent questions and really you can kind of go by gut. Like you don't need much knowledge about like home repair to be able to figure out if you're getting taken because you don't need to be an expert. You just need to know enough to ask one or two questions and then just get that gut feeling about like, is this guy, uh, you know, on the up and up. Is this like, or like, I, I don't know. Like it's difficult, but I feel like you have tools at your disposal, but the one tool that is not useful is the tool where anytime anything happens to you, or anything breaks and needs to be fixed, or whatever, like any 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 sort of unforeseen or even foreseen series of events that spirals out of a problem that you ignored for a long time is the fault of the person you ca- you came to ask you to help. All you All right, fix it.
1: I I have to stop you at this point. I, I'm going to tell you the anecdote, and you can tell me what you think. I'm going to tell you the fairest way I can. Okay, so we got a stove. We got an old. First of all, you know we live in a very very old house with very 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 like fragile. Uh, electric. It's built in 1926. It's super old. We have basically a couple plugs in our kitchen, and and that's about it. So we have this this gas range. It's probably like 15 years old. It's got a range in an oven, right? So the range uh, – and we rent. So the range has been uh, – basically the range top, the pilot light's been going out, and I've been having to relight it. And, you know, not a huge deal, but I've noticed that the pilot's been going out. And I've also noticed that the output on the burners has all seemed a little weak. So, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, something's happening. This is occluded. Maybe there's a leak. But I'm mostly thinking, like, something's, something's wrong, you know, in the line somewhere. Something needs to be cleaned or something needs to be serviced. So I'm, I went to Yelp. I found somebody with lots of high ratings. And I had the guy come out. I'll make this as quick as I can. Because um, you can tell me if this is irrational. Um, cause I asked my daughter and, and, and she thinks it's not irrational, but she's was the, being she, irrational. She, she talked me off the, off the, off the, ledge yesterday. I was pretty upset. She, um, she just wants
0: noodles. She just wants them now. Just
1: the noodles. Wants the noodles, well, don't worry. The top still works. All right. So, uh, you know, it works. The burner, the, uh, the broiler at the bottom works. The, you know, uh, oven part works as recently as two days ago, my wife made granola in the oven. Uh, like we use it. We've lived in this house for eight years and we use the oven all the time. So dude comes out. Long story short, he starts working on it. He's going to clean it. He's going to fix all this stuff up. No big deal. He works on it. He takes it. I run out to pick up my kid. I come back. He says, okay, well, you know, I did all the cleaning, did all this. And uh, <laughs> even though he'd done all that, this is not a big deal, but he turns on the burner. It doesn't really start. It's, it really hasn't fixed the pilot light problem. Whatever. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Bad on me for getting help it didn 't really help, and he doesn 't have any more options, but like okay, so that that didn 't work very well, but also he 's got to break the bad news to me that something called the safety valve uh, has been is broken on the oven, and now the oven won 't work anymore and uh and I said, Are you sure about that because we use that all the time. We have a family and stuff, and we use the oven a lot. And uh, it worked as recently as two days ago. He goes, "Oh no, no, it's 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 broken. It w- won't heat up now." And I said, "Okay, uh, so is that a thing you can fix?" And because uh, that would be great. And he says, "Well, I have to see. I have to see if the part's available." And he says, "It's probably not available though, because this is pretty old." I'm like, "Okay, all right." So he goes and he makes he has a very perfunctory phone call with somebody and says, "No, no, the part's not available. Also, this is too old of a range." It's got a mercury part in this one thing that you're not allowed to have in San Francisco anymore. I should probably go ahead and replace it with an electric uh, oven, was, was his diagnosis. And I said, Well, that's challenging because we have basically two plugs here in the kitchen. We would have to have an electrician. I don't want an electrician going anywhere near our electrical system except to, like, you know, say what went wrong when the house goes up in flames. There's no way we can draw any more electricity in our house. It's ancient. So, anyway. Uh, that's kind of where, where we left it was, uh, well, you know, sorry about that. I guess, you know, bad luck. And I went and I tested it and indeed the oven does now not work. And I want to just underscore it worked now four days ago. So, you know, maybe I'm a raving loon, but like I put off doing this cause I feel like I'm <laughs> jinxed. I'm jinxed because when I go and I'm not even saying like go to the doctor.
0: De- defending it, uh, trying to explain how you're not a raving loon by invoking jinx. is not probably your best course of,
1: <laughs> go on. John, why would the oven work for something like 2,000 days consistently? Uh-huh, and then uh-huh. the one day that it broke was the day he came and fixed
0: mm-hmm. it? All right. So, th- I mean, if I was there, I would have other questions that I would have asked him. But here's just one plausible scenario, not knowing much about ovens. But here's a plausible scenario that could have led to this series of events. And it's
1: old and corroded, and it just broke.
0: All right. So, uh, as part of trying to make your oven work better, I can imagine it involved perhaps uh turning some valve somewhere to shut off the gas so you can work on it safely so you can open up the little thing you know what i mean right and i can imagine the thing that you might need to turn off to make the the oven safe to fix and and disassemble or clean or whatever uh, might be called like a safety valve or something and i can imagine that thing being so friggin' old because your oven is really old that it was broken that merely trying to turn it broke off in his hand or the inside of it busted or it wedged or in some way it was never going to come back um and then at that point you could say well i can still you know what can you do at that point you're you know well, yeah, what the, you as, could do is say trying, i broke your oven is what you could do right right but i mean you're right That that's where it gets into the trust thing like in terms of you know ask, questioning is like well you know the safety thing what does it do um and what did you have to do to it to make it be like and and you know again getting to one that you're comfortable with not just trust but the one that, that fits your your comfort level a lot of people who come to fix things in your home who are experts in these areas have sort of trained themselves and been trained by the customers they have out of getting into technical detail and just sort of giving the high level overview right um Because this is, you know, even if that was a situation, like I have uh, various car mechanics who are very good about saying, like, we can try to take this thing out, but in the process of taking it out, it will almost surely break um, and we will have to, we won't be ever be able to put it back. Like there's like a 1% chance that we could get this thing out successfully and put it back to get at the thing that's behind it. Most likely, in the act of taking it out, we're going to break it. Well, this happens on right? old cars. I mean, I know this happens on old cars. We would get, like, a bolt.
1: And the thing is, whatever, and again, forgive me, I'm going to be non-technical for a minute, but the that, that automobile and whatever's happening with the combustion, all that will work fine because there's a sealed system. And so, but the thing is, if you break off that bolt, that system ain't sealed anymore. And if you broke it off, you it ain't going to work anymore. Is that kind of thing,
0: right? Or even just disassembling, like, I need to, I need to take the compressor out to get at the thing that's behind it. The compressor is working fine now. But the thing that's behind it is totally broken. But the only way I can get to it is to get the compressor off. And when I take the compressor off, the compressor is going to break. Because it's so rusted through that as soon as I even try to disconnect it, it will just fall into a million pieces in my hand. And so, therefore, uh, you're going to need a new compressor in addition to this thing. Even though the compressor you have works perfectly well now. Um, and it could be this guy didn't think the thing... And again, I don't know the details. This may not have been what happened. But like, the bottom line is, if, if you think about your oven, it's like, what had you been doing to... Assess the state of your oven and maintain it up until this point. Nothing. You've just been using it and expecting it to work for years and years and years. This ancient thing. Eventually, it's going to break. Eventually, it's not something's that old. going. so It's not that old. Eventually, if you can't get a part for it, I mean, you know, it's got to be pretty old because it's not like he's he would love to sell you a part. I mean, he gets a markup on all that. I don't that, you know because I, mean? I call anyway. my
1: landlord and he's thinking he can work it out.
0: Anyway, um, again, I don't know whether this guy is particularly trustworthy, but all I'm saying is that there are plausible scenarios in yeah. which this guy, this that you know, and, and it just comes down to communication that he should have known that you, that you are the type of person who wants to know the nitty gritty details and would be less angry instead of more. If you explained that as part of cleaning I need to turn this thing off and I turned it and broke off in my hand, and that's it for that thing. And I can't get another one for reasons X, Y and Z. And I'll explain to you in great detail why I can't get another one. Um, or he could just be guys trying to sell you in an oven, right? Well, and that's what that's what you, that's what you're thinking, but I don't think. I but don't, I don't think it's a slam dunk,
1: though. I don't know that that's what it is, but the problem was the reason I'm sitting there practically quivering with this guy was that we had not. I mean, I don't. I can't believe. I feel like I should have had to explain to him in retrospect the chain of dependencies here, which is something I mentioned here in the notes. Which is like sometimes like uh, a broken bolt is more than a broken bolt. You know, if it's something where I guess I know I'm not explaining this well, but the the trouble is that sometimes you know, like they say on the Brady Bunch, the rust is all that's holding it together. In that instance, like you know, we didn't have the conversation about like, well, if anything goes wrong, what's our contingency plan? Because we are not currently set up for being able to have this range that he magically says you have to have now in San Francisco, which my landlord disagrees with. But but that was the part that was so frustrating about it was that. It really it really felt like – and I should also mention that when he came in, this is literally what he said when he walked into our kitchen. You should really get this remodeled is a thing that he said when he walked in. And I said, I'll be sure and pass that along to my landlord as I live in San Francisco in constant fear of being evicted for whatever reason. There's a reason I called you. (laughs) So it was just that I felt like – I don't know. You could be right. And, I, and actually, I did want to vent a little bit, but I am also actually fig- – I do want to figure out how to get better at this and also talk about how other people can potentially avoid these kinds of things. Because, uh, you know, I, I trust your mind on these things. and well,
0: I, This I guy sounds a little jerky. You come to someone's house and say you should remodel it. Like oh, this. no, he was a jerk. I opened the door, and the first thing he says is your
1: address wasn't clearly marked. And I said, well, it's me. And he said, well, where's the address? And I said, name a guy. I'm the person who called you. You're at my house. Come on in. Then he pointed out that we had a security camera and he wanted to talk about that. Then he told me that I should get the kitchen remodeled. And, uh,
0: yeah, you're, you're not off on the right foot with this guy. <laughs> well, he's this, off on
1: the wrong foot with me. Is, I, was, I know
0: I'm saying this does not seem like a, a good pairing. Here. Well, and so, okay.
1: and, and so understand also because you understand my, how neurotic I am. You understand my disinclination to assume that he is malicious or, Or deliberately trying to do
0: anything to break something to make money, but you got a bad vibe about him from the the immediately, right? Like that's what I'm saying about your gut feeling. Like, if in the lack of any information, like you don't know anything about stoves, you can get a gut feeling about a person. It's the it's the kind of gut feeling we haven't talked about this, but like in situations, okay, add to the topic list, like potentially dangerous situations where you feel like you you are about to be mugged, or you feel like someone is distracting you while someone is like picking your pocket behind you, or. Right. You just get kind of an uneasy feeling. Where, where you're like on that, on that precipice, you're on that cusp of going, right. like, is, you, is this you, a
1: thing? Is this a thing? Am I, it feels like
0: a thing. You're getting an uneasy feeling and everything about the way we modern, pampered, middle class people are brought up, every instinct is telling us uh, to ignore that feeling, that you're just being silly, everything is fine, right? like basically don't listen to your gut that's what's going on in our head like uh, while while you're being you know about to be robbed or about to be clubbed in the back of the head and you know like you're you're like the, the politeness like the, the sort of the societal training the, the thing we learn at school to like be polite and respectful and give people the benefit of the doubt and live in a civil society and the whole rest of your being is screaming get away this person is dangerous run uh and you're too, and you're thinking can, is there a way I can Maybe get out of this in a polite way. Pretend I get a phone call. And it's like, you know, our mm-hmm. brain is our own worst enemy. Like, that's why we're not fit to survive in the post-apocalyptic world where it's uh, kill or be killed. <laughs> um, and so this is obviously the micro-scale version of that, where you immediately got a bad vibe from this guy. He's just a jerk, right? And, you know, and you say, well, what am I going to do that part? Slam the door in his face and call, call a different guy? So I thought there was a cultural thing and that he was a little socially awkward. Right, but 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 I'm saying, like, that, that kind of vibe, like, especially after the kitchen remodel comment, that's like, okay, that's, you know... And, and again, then you're thinking, well, what am I going to do? Tell him to get out? That would be rude, well, and I would he feel also, bad. In, in
1: fairness, he did also point out that it was a pretty old stove. Uh, so I guess... But, you know, but let's, let's go back to, like, my dumb impression as a layperson is that, like, um, this is just on the edge of... I will go Google how to fix this. This is just on the edge of, like, you know, fixing the... The floater thing in the toilet or something. The kind of thing that I, I do, you know, five times a year with stuff around the house. Because it's easier, it's cheaper, and I know nobody's going to come in and screw it up. If I screw it up on my own, that's okay. I'll call somebody after that, but let me at least give this a shot. And uh, there are some kinds of things where I'll just go like, you know, like we finally – sometimes we get like a leak under our sink and I realize that it was a little bit rotten on the – um on the, uh, this is really boring, I'm sorry. But like you know, I will call in a plumber sometimes. We've got a great plumber that we like to use. This, to me, though, this is what drives me bananas. Is And you're right, I'm warring with myself. I'm warring with all these different sides of myself and these rational and irrational parts of me and the parts of me that are intuitive and not intuitive. But it came down to this. I was like, this is one of those no-brainer in my head, because I'm an idiot. This is one of those no-brainer repairs, probably, unless there's something horribly wrong. There's probably just some kind of a weird occlusion in the line. Maybe there's a, a seal that's not working. I'm guessing it's going to be as simple as you clean out the burners and you do something to make sure that the line is getting through to the pilot light. It, it seems like basic physics to me. And so at that point, I will put up with anything. I'm going to, I'll give this guy like $100 to $200 to fix this, and we'll have a stove again. So the last thing I'm going to do is say, hey, don't talk about how my kitchen should be remodeled. I want to, I want to keep – again, look at me, who I am. I want to keep things nice and civil. I want to be nice. I want to be deferential.
0: Yeah. I mean, like with all sort of home stuff, like you have to think about big picture wise, like I was saying, what what have you been doing? What kind of stove maintenance and awareness has been going on in your life? Or have you been taking it for granted that you have a stove right up until the second it stopped functioning in exactly the way you want it? like did you pay a lot of attention to the stove over the years or is it just like the stove either works or it doesn't and suddenly it's not quite working the way you think it should and at that point you think now there's a problem that needs to be addressed but, what what I mean like
1: but what but given that we lived in this house for 8 years what what more stove vigilance should i have done it's, on, not it, it's not vigilance, it's mostly
0: just like awareness, like what, what, I mean, what on, kind on of a things a do you have? On a gas
1: stove with four burners and an oven, what, what would I, it doesn't even have a clock. Like what would I right. do
0: differently well, in terms of stove vigilance? Well, because if you don't know anything about the stove, the only thing you have to go for is how old does this stove look to me? What is the expected lifetime of a stove? Right. Right? Like, so for example, if you buy a house and you don't know anything about a house, but, you know, maybe, uh, surely if you buy a house, you do the home inspection, you learn a little bit about like, what is the thing, especially in New England, what is the thing that keeps me from freezing to death in the winter? <laughs> how does this How does this house become warm? It's, its primary performance characteristic is how does it keep me from dying? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, what is that thing? And you learn the variety of things that can keep you from dying in the winter. And you learn which one of them your house has. And hopefully at that point, you learn uh, from maybe from your home inspector or someone how old the thing is that keeps you from dying in the winter is in your house. And then hopefully you will learn how long do these things usually last? Well, that's good. So, if you know whatever it is we know this mostly intuitively about cars if you have a car that is 70 years old you're probably would like, to have an rv that's even 40, you, yeah. rv
1: that's 40 years old.
0: right even if you know nothing about cars you can say i know how long most people keep cars and i know in general at a certain point they start to fall apart and unless your hobby is going to be replacing every single part of this car one part at a time not that i'm thinking of any specific person here uh, unless that's going to be your hobby. You kind of intuitively know, like, right. not intuitively, but like from your experience in life. But if you have never been a homeowner or whatever, maybe you don't know what's the expected lifetime of a microwave oven? How long is a light bulb supposed to last? How long is a furnace supposed to last? What about a water heater? Um, you know, if it, if it, one of these things breaks unexpectedly, like you know with cars, there's some kind of warranty involved, but it's not really that long. And people keep cars for maybe five, 10 years. That's not crazy. But if in year eight something breaks on your car, most people don't have the expectation that Honda's going to fix it for you for free because the warranties only last few years, like all that information you may not have about the other things in your house, uh, but you should have some kind of awareness just of those things. Like, do I have an old one? My roof. Do I have an old roof? Do I have a new roof? If you just bought a house and you don't know these things and you and, and like the year, you know, I've been in this house for one year and now the roof is leaking. If that roof was 35 years old, this should not be a surprise to you. You, you never had, what kind of roof awareness do I need to have? You need to know when you're buying a house, you're buying a house with a 35 year old roof and you right. need to know that, that roofs, Asphalt shingle roofs, that's kind of around the useful lifetime of an asphalt shingle roof. And if an asphalt shingle roof fails around 35 years, you shouldn't be like, damn, this roof. My roof was fine until I could fall that roof. Like, this roof is going to whether you do anything or not. Like, (laughs) this is the expected lifetime of a roof. Um, And so I don't know how old your stove was. I don't know what the expected lifetime of a gas stove is. But if there's a certain awareness that it's old and that it sort of starts not working right, my thought would be, there's a chance I can fix I get someone to fix this mm. this stove for me. But also, kind of like how much money do I want to put into the stove? Or is it time for me to start thinking Uh, before the thing starts breaking, you start thinking like when, you know, the awareness of the house, like what things in my house are are going to need to be replaced in the next five to 10 years? The soul is willing, but the electric is weak.
1: I mean, I would be happy to drop a grand on uh, whatever it costs for a stove. If it were as simple as making a call and having somebody bring a stove, it's just that it's not that simple.
0: Oh, of course. That's one of the things you have to think about. Like I have the same electric situation in my house. I knew when I moved into this house that our electric panel was underrated for the size of the house. So anything that we need in the house that needs more power than like, you know, I know, for example, the number of kitchen appliances i can turn on before i blow uh, a circuit breaker and oh, i know yeah. that we can't uh do certain things like we're never you know if we got a tesla i can't charge that i would have to <laughs> i would have to get i would have to get the electric marker's pa- gonna have to if marker comes to visit he'll have to go somewhere yeah, else yeah i'd have to get you know because you want one of those the high power charging things i would need to get like part of the cost of a tesla would be oh and by the way uh rewire your panel for you know 250 amps or whatever.
1: I had an appointment for fiber uh, installation, and and the the guy came out, and I think the the growth in fiber installation is pretty great, cre- pretty huge and fast here, because this this guy, ooh, he was like a character from an SNL sketch, but he came out and he was just completely perplexed because he's like, "Where's the electric in your garage?" And I was like, "Electric in my garage." Like, do you want to come see the thing up here that shows when this place was built? Because, like, so we couldn't do a fiber install because he d- didn't have a way to put a backup battery in. It's like, oh, see you later. Can't do yep, it. but you
0: like, need the electrician to come. And even when we got our new dishwasher put in, we didn't have you know the the, the switch or outlet or things that are up to code, and you, the, the, those need to be installed. And you'd be like, I just spent all this money in a dishwasher, and you're telling me I need to pay an electrician to install? See, thing I because wouldn't of do some that. Code. I wouldn't. I'm not that dumb. Uh, I but I mean, well, but yeah. you don't know. Like, you don't know what you don't know. But like, but th- what I'm talking about broadly speaking is that everything, everything. You know, you know, gets old and dies, right? And and what you need is a broad level understanding for home stuff of like which things are going to be the next things in my home that died, and if you want to stay on top of this thing either you start saving for or start shopping for the replacement right about when they get the age that they're, they're going to die. So when they, you know, you don't wait until the crisis hits and you're going to be without a stove, maybe replace it before it breaks. Or if it starts showing any signs of being weird, be like, well, we've been talking about replacing that for the past three years and it's time has maybe come. And you, maybe you still make the repair attempt. And if the repair attempt goes bad, you know, again, this guy could have been a, a bad, uh, you know, uh, stove fixer person or whatever. I have no idea, but at least you're like you are your own contingency plan that you're aware and yeah. then you know and you can go through the inventory now think of all the things in your house how are your windows doing like do you have any <laughs> any faucets that are leaking and it seem like they need to you know uh. how old are the insides of your toilet because those things just rot out you know like i mean you can do those yourself but you kind of oh, you kind of wear like what is the state of all your flappers right now you you oh, should God. be aware of that because you're inside those toilets which I one of the flappers of my flapper. it's not good you just have the one flap i mean has anyone ever put a bleach tablet in it it's destroying all of the the soft parts and making it all gross i mean okay you're killing me (sighs) you're killing me anyway anyway like that's Uh, I, i feel like not just for homeownership, but for any kind of thing sort of being on top of those things will make any bad things that come out of it uh and 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 the consequences and everything that you will already have internalized those you've already paid that cost you will i mean i have the same thing like i have fiber optic in my house now and i know if i want to upgrade to the faster one i need a new panel and if i need a new panel they might need to run a new line if they need to run a new line they might need to make that hole in my house bigger they might if they make the hole in my house bigger it's going to piss me off because they just put siding on it and it's just like it's a cascade of things i'm totally aware of that cascade that's why I've been putting off getting my fiber upgraded. But it's looming, and when it comes, I will have hopefully prepared both myself and my wallet and you know everything involved in that to handle this rather than not thinking about it at all, having my fiber break and having them say, well, we can't actually fix your fiber because the box you have is too old. All we have are these new ones, and you really need to upgrade if you want fiber at all. And by the way, if you upgrade, here's this cascade of stuff that you hadn't thought of.
1: Well, I didn't even tell you the, the funniest part of the... the uh fiber install, was that uh, – and the, I got a, I got a vibe from this kid. I, I, I'm, sometimes I'm suspicious about people, I have to admit. But I got a vibe, and, and this guy, he was just kind of standing there with these – again, like a Cone Brothers character, like standing there with these things in his hand, like, where, where's the electric? And I was like, oh, the electric? And he says, yeah, we need that for the backup battery. And so, of course, at first, my thought was, well, we could run – like, we could run a cable from here to there. We could do this to that. At first, I thought he just meant he needed like, to, needed a- uh, Temporary for, power for, for, for a, a drill. Yeah, 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 So I was thinking about that. And then, of course, with that thought, I jumped to, well, I guess we could run this thing. And then finally I was like, well, wait a minute. what is it? What is the power for? And if memory serves, what he said it was for it was for a backup battery. And I said, a backup battery. And I was like, so the backup battery. And what it came down to was it was for the phone line that I didn't
0: want. You you still need it for the ONT, probably too. uh, They all have that. I'm sure,
1: I'm sure, I'm sure it's needed. But it it ended up being, it ended up, the whole thing was a farce. There were other problems that we had that we ran into where I was just like, you know what? Not today. It's not going to happen today. Like, thank you for your time. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com. And if you enter the offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, at checkout, you will get 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power in your hands and takes away all the pain points like worrying about hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level, with no coding required. You'll easily be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace uses state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world, including me. I'm a brand. Look it up. Their site templates are stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design to make your site look great, on all sizes of device. But this is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features, like 24-7 support with live chat and email. They've got teams in New York, Dublin, and Portland there to help you. They have Squarespace's amazing commerce platform, which allows anyone to add a store to their Squarespace site. And they have a wonderful cover page functionality so you can build great-looking single-page websites. All this rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you got to check out their dev platform This lets you dig into the code and tinker with the very guts of your Squarespace site. And if you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. You can go and start your uh, trial today. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. And remember to use that special code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. You get 10% off your first purchase. This is a Dynamite product. I use it, and I love it. No credit card required. That's the words you want to hear. We want to thank very much Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention—I don't know—I just thought you might. I don't wonder about your thoughts on this. Is uh, the place that I worked in the '90s? I always, I always thought this was interesting. Uh, place I worked in the '90s, uh, where we did mostly toxicology and uh, support for tort litigations, but we also did risk assessment. And one of the ways that we sold ourselves was that we were one of the, first of all, we were small, but we were also uh, one of the relatively few companies that wasn't, and I might be remembering this wrong, but it seems like most of our competition were companies that primarily did like risk abatement and cleanup, but also offered risk assessment. And what we sold ourselves on was that we would do your risk assessment, but we had absolutely no interest in doing the abatement cleanup. You know, any of that. We would, you know, do the mitigation stuff, like what you could do, avoid problems. But you know what I mean? What we would do is we would just say, like, you know, here's here's what you're in for. But we wouldn't be the ones who would also say, and this is and this is how much you're going to pay us to take care of it. And it seemed like I think it gave us a lot of credibility with with big companies because they would go, they have nothing to gain by telling us what this is, what needs to be done here. Do you think? I mean, like, first of all, uh, isn't that kind of an interesting idea? And like, do you think that legitimately changes the way somebody does the process in the case of say a second opinion, if you're not that person's primary care physician or, you know, you're a different oncologist or whatever, do you think it's beneficial to, to go to people who don't have a stake in, in doing any more than deciding exactly what the problem is?
0: I think it's definitely worthwhile. What your story reminded me of, since I'm assuming this was in Florida, was my uncle who lives in Florida, who has done home inspection for most of his career. Um, And he uh, the same type of thing that he was well, an independent home inspector. Um, so he's, he's just going to tell you what's wrong and the independence of home inspectors, the independence that you really want is these independent of any realtor. He is not affiliated with aligned with paid by in any sort of financial arrangement with people who buy houses, you know, realtors for people buying houses or a realtors for people selling houses. Right. Uh, and his experience, as I've, as far as I've been able to understand from third-hand information from my mother and stuff, was that, that it was very difficult for him to find work because all the connections and all of the business flow through the realtors. And the realtors want a home inspector who will give them the answer that they want, whether it's uh, just tell them really? this house is, is it, okay so they'll buy it. Is that yeah. as bad and crooked as it sounds? Yeah, that yeah, sounds awful. But, and you would think well don't aren't the customers the powerful ones the people who the, the actual people who are going to buy the home wouldn't they want to go to him because he's going to be the guy who's honest but the deal flow the sort of how do you get people to come to you how do you sure. get people to find your name like people buying houses are going to listen to the realtor that uh, that they hire to help them buy a house about who they should get to uh, do the home inspection so he found it it was the same exact situation where he was basically doing assessment but not mitigation and abatement and not, didn't have any stake in whether you bought this house or not he's just giving you the straight-up story of what's wrong with your house and it was hard for him to find business whereas if he had been willing to be affiliated with either side of that equation um that it would have been much more uh it would have been easier because that's again that's where all the, the business comes the people go to the realtors they don't go to the home inspector they go to the home inspector or they already got a realtor and the realtor tells them which home inspector that they should go to um and wow. yes. and so i think it, it does make a difference in you would get a different answer but often that's not the thing that's important in terms of staying in business really what's important is and making the, sure you have a steady, the, the, the,
1: the a steady flow the big picture
0: the steady flow of cu- where are your customers coming from how do they know you even exist how do they know to find you and like we just said about trusting we can how do they know to trust you you can tell them oh we're more trustworthy because we don't have financial stake or whatever but how do you know that's even true maybe you, then you're just trying to figure out well where is your bread buttered like who is paying your things like are you going to try to sell me a timeshare as part of this home inspection like it so, must be some <laughs> angle here that i'm missing right, i'll right. just go with who the realtor told me to go with because this guy does all my home inspections he's great you'll love him the realtor who i trust who because we've been driving around this neighborhood in florida for you know three weeks now i'll just go with their home inspector uh, because how can you convince somebody even you know you know you try to explain the structural situation that makes you more trustworthy but they don't know you and you know so yeah it's not the factors that go into people making decisions are not always what you would think so i i think that is definitely a thing i think you do want someone who has who has their incentives correctly aligned but every time someone tells me how correctly aligned their their incentives are I think they're telling me as a cover that that they're hiding whatever their real motivations are that I have to figure out, okay, then how do you get paid that you're not telling me about rather than thinking, Oh, I should just trust you because that does sound better to me. Right. And that's just, you know, human nature and, and, and being paranoid or whatever, but it's why it can be more difficult for people to, you know, I was going to ask if your old consulting firm is still in business because it sounds like, uh, you know, I've done, uh, uh, the jobs I've been at various places. We have like, a. Compliance, corporate compliance with whatever, you know, uh, specification that by some group that says if you're compliant with this, you get this three-letter code. You mean, like and, you health, know,
1: health stuff or general corporate stuff?
0: Even just things like, uh, you know, the credit card processing. There's something called PCI oh. compliance for, right. sure, pay, sure. you know, for, for you have complied with these best practice security protocols that show you're allowed to process credit cards and it's some industry alliance or whatever. Every company that does that that I've ever encountered, they will assess whether you're compliant, and if you pay them, they will help you become compliant. Like, it's always an all-in-one thing. Wow. Right? You know what I mean? Interesting. It's never like, we will just tell you whether you're compliant, and if you're not compliant, you can hire this other company to help you fix it. We'll tell you you're not compliant, and you can hire us, and we'll fix it. it, and it it's basically like protection money, practically. Because, I mean, is <laughs> I mean, that
1: similar for stuff like Dodd-Frank or, or Sorbanes-Oxley? Like, do, do you get like a consulting firm to come in and... and like?
0: make sure that you're certified legit. I think that the government stuff is maybe a little bit more up, but still it's kind of the same thing. Or you hire a company that tells you where your gaps are and then you, and then you hire the company to fix it. And yeah. it's great for business because you're like, I know these guys because they're the ones who can give you the rubber stamp. And if you pay them off money, they'll give you the rubber stamp and yeah, they're going to do the things too. But if it was separate companies, like it, I guess it's just much, it's much easier for them to be in business doing it all in one. Right. So it almost feels like you're paying somebody, to give you the rubber stamp, it doesn't matter if you're actually really compliant. And in the end, they're going to t- to try to make you more compliant than you were. But if they were independent companies and they were adversarial and it was like, I will tell you whether you're compliant and this person will tell you what you need to, you know, that you can imagine going back and forth on that forever, but mm-hmm. it doesn't go back and forth so much when it's the same company. Go figure. <sighs> well, thank you for that.
1: I was watching, I was winding down by uh, my stressful day last night by watching, um, watch the first half of uh, True Grit, the recent one. Yep. That's a good one. I can't believe I didn't see that. But, uh, but I was, I was. Did you really watch the first half? Yeah, about the first half. The, um. Why do you do it? (laughs) The actress in that, um, that played Maddie. What a great role. I got up to about, I got up to about, she, uh, rides the horse across the river. And uh, basically has shown her bona fides as uh, somebody who can keep up, but uh, I the way that I just oh God first of all you know I guess there are people who like the Coen Brothers and the and the wrong people, but you know, boy I, there's that movie the uh, that the dialogue it's so old timey and so uh, and so fun but just the way that she deals with everybody I love I love the way that she talks. Uh, Maddie and I just love the plainness of how she talks. You know, goes in and is like, you know, I will call my lawyer and we will take care of this. And I was like, man, why can't I be more
0: like Maddie? You got to keep watching that movie. I'm I'm going tonight. tonight. It has a very satisfying ending. Oh man, it's
1: you know, I'll tell you something about uh, Jeff Bridges. He seems everything I've ever heard about him makes me think. And actually, they talked about this on the Flop House. Whereas, like, even when Jeff, Jeff Bridges has been in at least two that i can think of probably three flop house movies and the one thing they'll always give him credit for is like at least he threw himself into this you know what i mean
0: even R.I.P.D they're like <laughs>
1: you know he's doing what he can with it
0: and he doesn't and he doesn't have like two settings like Nick Cage on and <laughs> on and right. Uh, right, off right, right, where right. it's just like either he looks like he's comatose or he's just totally over the top Jeff Bridges he always seems, does something
1: he seems really yeah like he's very committed to to whatever he does um yeah he seems like a decent guy well, thank you for your help with that. I hope we can cook again at some point. I'll uh, I'll assess the uh, the possibilities. Hopefully my landlord can help out.
0: <laughs> you should you should do inventory of your house right now and just think about uh you know, how old things are versus what the expected lifetime is. So you can figure out what the next thing is going to break so you can kind of get ahead of this. Oh, y- even if only mentally.
1: So many dependencies, John
0: i know well you, get, you gotta trace it out ahead of time and she figure got a school out school
1: right there we can't move we uh, gotta... yeah.
0: and and even though i say this like i've done this twice like with, with water heaters i know what the lifetime of water heater is you kind of know because they give you a warranty and basically as soon as that warranty is up you're you know you should expect well, it to die okay and yet every time we've gone through two water heaters every time rather than doing the smart thing which would be to replace it as soon as the warranty expires even though it's perfectly good and functioning yeah i always wait for it to fail and so far that has worked out for me but i know i actually know that's a stupid thing to do because sometimes they fail in pretty catastrophic ways and they flood your basement and you're super sad so why do i keep doing that uh you know it's just it's just like laziness okay. or like thinking i mean you when they failed the way that they failed they failed in nice ways where they only put a little bit of water and this will be this will be my
1: next one because i'm i'm game to get a more efficient and smarter water heater do you have, do you have a strong feeling on water heaters
0: uh i'd have to know your situation but like I, at this point i have some plumbers that i actually kind of trust for the most part okay. um, and i've discussed this with them both times we replaced my water heaters after they started leaking in my basement um huh? <laughs> uh, and every time i talk to them about on-demand water heaters which are uh more efficient you don't have a tank um you do. you do not want to know what our uh
1: gas bill was last month yeah and you're not I, i'm gonna send it to you just for fun
0: uh, I think we might have you beat, but, uh, and uh, well, and we're, and we're not, uh, you're not constantly keeping a gigantic vessel filled with hot water that is being kept hot all the time. Like when I'm at work, there's this giant cylinder filled with water in my basement that a machine is keeping hot uh, all the I time. Think,
1: I think about it and it drives me crazy all day long.
0: Right. And so that's not particularly efficient. So every time I ask them about the on-demand ones though, they always have pretty good reasons that it's not the right time for me to get one of those in my particular house given our water needs. And they're more expensive. They would make more money off me if they sold me one of these things. Because installing one would cost me a lot of money for other stuff. And they're more expensive in general than these old clunker things. But you're getting a vibe. You're getting a vibe from them. But every time we have this conversation, I am convinced that it's not the right thing for me to install. And I believe them. Like, I I basically, I trust my mechanic in this case. Because I don't, first of all, I have not been able to figure out whether a possible incentive would be not to install these. Because they install a million of them. They're super expensive. And they'd have to do additional work, like, you know, additional labor and stuff to prepare my house to even have one of these because they don't even vent through your chimney because the the vent gas is so low temperature, right? And if you have it go up in your chimney, it could condense and like rust it, you know, whatever. Like it would co- it would be they would get so much more money from me if I installed one of these. And every time one of these things failed, I talk to them about it and they talk me out of it and have me buy the cheaper option, which is the big tank. So right now I have you know, I have the most expensive uh, tank. Filled with hot water that I could possibly buy in terms of efficiency and all those, because I always like they always talk to me about the thing, and I just like uh, you know I'm bidding myself up and saying just just tell me what the best one is. Like, well, you get this, it'll be perfectly fine. I'm like, no, keep going, keep going. Like, hey, how long can the warranty go? so they come with 15 year warranty? Yep, that's the one I want. You sure? Because like, yep, just keep you know, like I and they're trying to talk me out of like we don't want you. You know, you don't need to have this. You can have the you know, that's how that's something that makes me feel like I trust the mechanic when I literally can't figure out. Uh, why they would ever be doing this. And so I trust their advice when they say, yeah, right, totally. this on-demand heater would not be able to supply your needs. Here's what here's what compromises you would get in terms of what would it feel like to live in a house with this type of thing going on. If you had someone taking a shower and the dishwasher running and you're trying to do dishes, uh, something's going to give there uh, and there's no tank to fall back on. And so if you can't, you can't deal with that, um, then it's better off getting a tank thing. So what I would say to you is, if someone comes to you and tells you on-demand is the future, it's much more inefficient, that's all true. But you should also ask about the compromise and if they tell you there aren't any. Either you have very small water needs or they're lying. All right. I'm going to think on it. Uh, well, geez, we're up to an hour and a half. How much more you got in you? We, we don't have time for our other topic, do we? No, no. That's a whole, that's a whole thing. I just put it up there because I didn't know where we were going today. Why yeah. can I not view this image in the robot?
1: Oh, I could say. Oh, it to it you. just no. It's coming. It's coming. It's just. Yeah, don't say the number, but look at it. Tell me if that's close to
0: yours. Don't say the number. What
1: say I? the number? No, I'm saying like I don't want people to know what my gas bill is.
0: Oh, I thought this was the sticker from your heater. Um, no. How this is just one month? Yeah, I, we've got that beat. Not by that. What? Much, though. Really? Yeah,
1: we're into tier two, John. I know, I know. I think we got. I think we got leaks. I think we got a leak or something. We got inefficient. Oh, someday I'll. I'm tell you I don't even story. have a
0: gas stove, so.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's not the stove. I, I mean, I think it's between the water heater and uh, our incredibly inefficient original yeah. furnace. Well, what
0: do you got to look at? Like, my wife was complaining about this. She visited her uh, family recently, and and their bills are so much cheaper. They have a smaller house, and there's fewer people living there. But I said, you just got to look at the rate, though. You got to, like, you, you know... Oh, because it varies? Yeah. Like, no, like how, how much does it cost per whatever, right? Because if a different region of the country it is a different rate, then that changes the the whole equation it may not be that they're using so much more or less gas than we are it's just that for every what do they measure it in um Therms? is not a cubic isn't it what the hell's a therm i have no what idea What is a therm I'm sure you can look it up and find out on the internet uh-huh look at that
1: huh america's favorite podcast about figuring out your gas bill
0: Anyway, yeah, what do you like? The gas bowl is one of those things. Like, what are you going to do about it? What you can do about it is use less gas or change oh, well, to well, something that doesn't a, use gas.
1: It's a non SI unit of heat energy equal to 100,000 BTUs. There you go. Wow.
0: Yeah, you might have. I was going to ask you before you talk about your thing are vultures circling in your house? Oh, because they smell the, the, the gas? Yeah. Do you know the, the vulture story? I tweeted it. I <gasps>
1: no, we got a lot of crows.
0: Uh, So, you know, they add the chemical to gas. Oh, I read it. Yeah, you you know what? I saw
1: your link about that. Tell tell our listeners that. That's a crazy story.
0: So gas, natural gas coming into your home. Uh, Everyone who has a, a home with gas something knows that smell. It's
1: kind of like that garlicky, uh, like a um, like,
0: um sulfury
1: kind of smell. Yeah. As,
0: how you can tell that you have a gas leak. You're like, oh, you know, I, I smell gas. Like something is wrong. Never mind that the, the vestibule of every single old uh, apartment building in Boston smells like gas. Like just that's just the smell of Boston, basically, um, which is great. Anyway, um, but that's not what natural gas smells like. You wouldn't be able to smell it at all, uh, is my understanding, if this chemical was not added. And the chemical they add... Is that thing that you're smelling, and it's one and of those which, chemicals which I had
1: always been told was so. If, for example, a Bunsen burner is left on in your chemistry lab, you would smell it. No, that the, I, for my entire life, that's what I've heard. They they artificially add this stinky smell, this sulfury, garlicky smell, so you'll know if you got a leak.
0: Right, and it's one of those smells where they have to add very, very little of this chemical. Like, and you know, if you look at the ratios of like how many parts per million are this smelly thing. It's an incredibly small amount, and it's something that we can smell really easily, even when there is not a lot of it. Like right. you probably Google for like the ratios, but it's like one of those amazing things. Like, wow, we can actually even smell that. Yes, you can. Um, and so the story that I found on the internet and tweeted about, which may or may not be true, but uh, it was I think it was like a scan of a, a printed page, so it must be true. It was in a book. Um, <laughs> was that they had gas lines running somewhere in the country? Uh, and maybe they're running across the desert or something, and sometimes they would have leaks, but it's hard to tell where the hell the leak is. All you could tell is that there was a leak, that you were losing pressure somewhere, but where along this big, long gas line is there a leak? And so they added this stinky chemical that smelled like decomposing bodies to vultures, and they would wait to see where the vultures were circling, and they would know wherever the vultures are circling, down below them, at that point in the pipe, there's the leak.
1: That's amazing.
0: Uh, and, you know, that, that's the story for how this chemical got into gas and obviously there are many modern uh reasons to keep it there like if you come into a house and are overwhelmed by that incredible smell don't hit the light switch maybe just leave the house uh (laughs) you know if you think you have if your pilot light is out how do you tell your pilot light is out maybe you have that smell in the kitchen is that how you're telling yeah yeah so if it wasn't there uh you wouldn't know and you'd wake up in the morning and turn the lights on in your kitchen and blow your house up and everyone would be sad bum
1: bum bum (laughs) bum
0: exactly that's the story we're sticking to it about the vultures and the gas it's a great story though